Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My guys are fucking savages in that box. You're having a piece of shit start to this game. I feel bad for you, but fucking get better. That guy is a good pitcher, but our guys are fucking savages in that box. Our guys are savages in the fucking box. Tighten it up right now, okay? Tighten this shit up. All right, so I guess we can start by uh, talking about John Jones. This one kind of fell right in our lap, Hunter. Yeah, Guy's in trouble again. Pretty good timing. I'm going to have to pull it up. We know that he's gotten in trouble a few times before when it comes to drugs and substance abuse and whatnot. Big win in his last fight over Thiago Santos. Both leave in wheelchairs. Yep. Thiago tears every, just about everything in his knee. Meniscus, PCL, ACL, MCL, you name it. Marcus Lattimore. Ugh, terrible. I feel bad for the guy. Should have won the fight, too, if you ask me. Uh, but John Jones in the news yet again for assaulting a stripper, basically. So he was, this happened back in April, I believe. And John Jones with his brother Chandler Jones, who plays in the NFL. Apparently he uh, inappropriately grabbed one of the strippers and uh, did some damage. You want to? Yeah. So apparently it's saying that like he uh, he choked her and was like being very forceful and wasn't letting go and things like that. And off the bat, it's it's John Jones. It's about time he got in trouble for something again. Um, you know, obviously he's innocent until proven guilty. But when you have the track record that he has, it's hard to not just assume that that's what happened and that's he's at fault for it. I think you know we're still waiting on like some comments from other people. John's already came out and said that he wasn't going to get in trouble, but um, you know doesn't look good. But when has it ever really looked good for John, except when he's in the octagon? I mean, <laughs> what did you say when we went on there? Just, like, stay home? Like, don't go yeah, outside? I mean, if I was that dude, like, I would, I would drive to Jackson Wink when I had training, and then I would dr- drive home, and then that's all I would do. I would, <laughs> wouldn't even go out to go get food. I mean, it's just, like, I, I don't know if it's, you know, he's looking for the trouble or as much as, like, the trouble's finding him. You know, this could have been, like, a, a situation of wrong place, wrong time. But, you know, why are you even going to strip clubs if you are John Jones at this point? Like, <laughs> it's just one of those things. It's like, that's just a place where trouble's going to find you. Maybe it's wrong place, wrong time. But, like, you could say that for about four or five instances that have happened in his life in the past five years. So, in this article on SB Nation, it says Jones allegedly made unwanted advances toward the cocktail waitress. So, it wasn't even one of the strippers. Right. It's one of the waitresses. Put her in a tight rear naked chokehold, like in wrestling. Picked her off the ground. Spun her around like a wrestling match. That was the direct quote from uh, TMZ. And then his accuser then claims, who called him a piece of shit, piece of shit Jones, placed her on the bar, slapped her vagina. Something, I guess, apparently that requires a $100 deposit in the... Uh, in the Strip joint or whatever. I don't know. I've right. never been to a strip club. I don't know how that works. I guess he refused to pay it or just flat out ignored it. And he was there, like I said, with his brother, NFL star uh, Chandler Jones. And he basically said he's not in any trouble. Like, he insisted that nothing happened. Like, again, this happened three months ago. Yeah, it's July around yeah, three months ago, and it's just coming out now. So yep. either they were very insecure about it and didn't want to say anything at first, or B, they're just trying to get some money out of it. They're probably in trouble. Uh, and I guess uh, about how long maybe Dana White and the UFC have known about it if they were notified like the night it happened or just a really good job by his PR team to keep it under wraps until after the Santos fight 
And I feel like there have been like we we've said this a few times when Dana White can be very bipolar towards his fighters. Like we've seen with McGregor, he's like, oh, I love Connor. Like no nobody nobody can talk like Connor. Nobody does promos like Connor. And as soon as he gets into trouble, Connor's never gonna fight in this business again. Yeah, Connor's never gonna fight in the UFC John. again. When he popped uh, before him in DC, we were supposed to fight. Like uh, Dana had that presser, and you know, like he was very avid that, like you know, this was like the last we were gonna see of John. Like he was never gonna come back. Like there's no place for that in his business. John Jones is also like the greatest fighter of all time. When he wants to come back, you can't just turn him away. So you know, it puts him in a difficult position. But obviously, Dana doesn't really care about what the people think about him you know kind of why should he at the same time so i it's it's just it's another one of those situations i mean they're used to it by now and so his brother and him his spokesperson basically said uh they'll easily refute their malicious lies his quote malicious lies from the cocktail waitress at that strip joint in a last april's incident i hope they're lies i mean Aside, like, all of the, the drugs issues, in 2012, he had a misdemeanor uh, DUI. I think he avoided jail time for that. And then 2015, I think that was, like, around the same time in April, he had the hit and run on the pregnant woman. So, you know, he's... And then he had the drag racing issue incident where I think he, like, violated some sort of probation that he had. So, you know, it's just a day in the life of John Jones, a couple days after his uh, birthday as well. But maybe that's why he was at the strip club. Maybe yeah, Chandler. Oh, possible. Yeah. And I'm, <laughs> it's just one of those things, man. It's John Jones. Uh, fans and everyone in the like are, are used to it. Nothing like a John Jones party because a John Jones party don't stop. He's only he's lived a hell of a life for a 32-year-old. He's still got a long way to go. Yeah. You know, unless he uh, snorts some more cocaine. It could end abruptly. Yeah, Silence on Hunter's end. <laughs> All right, so you want to get into the uh, Pacquiao-Thurman fight? So Manny Pacquiao, you told me before the fight that I should put my money on Thurman. You said, like, there's no shot. Like, two years ago, Pacquiao looked finished in the last match, the last boxing match he had. Looked finished, looked like maybe you should just call it quits. Lost to Mayweather back in 2015. Uh, comes out and proves that experience matters in this in this fight. Wins by decision, and it looked like at times Thurman had him beat. In the 11th round, he he had a pretty solid punch that probably would have finished the job for most fighters, not Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, no, I I hold my hands up here, man. I I, I doubted Manny. Uh, I think a lot of people sort of did. I personally, I thought at the welterweight rankings, I would have put Keith Thurman second pound for pound behind Terrence Crawford. Career. Thought his like power kind of unmatched. I don't want to retire um, unless that's. Hey, something about Keith Thurman, like you, you look at him and you're like, this guy's like a star. He doesn't, he doesn't seem like he's capable of losing. Like he's one of those like cocky guys, but he, he puts it on the table, he backs it up. But I mean, this is the best Pacquiao has looked in forever. Like it, you would look at him, you would like this guy's like twenty somewhat. He's not forty. He was quicker. He was calculated in everything that he threw. He only made one or two mistakes the whole fight. And it was just, it was an incredible performance. And it was just like, that was the technique, that was the strategy that most boxers used. He kind of just laid back, got his jabs in when he needed to, when he saw an opening, but he kind of just laid back, took his punches. I think he took 193 punches 
that were landed in that fight against Thurman? Yeah, well, uh, the first four rounds, I think, except for the fourth, I mean, they were all Pacquiao's. I could see you having all four of them for Pacquiao. And, but then, like, Thurman started to land more and land more, but it didn't seem like they were, I mean, it didn't seem like he earned Manny's respect until, like, the eighth or ninth round. Like, Manny was smiling when he was getting hit. He was coming back. Thurman would throw one, Pacquiao would throw five or six. It seemed like he was one step ahead for the first half of the fight. And it was Jeff Horn that he lost to. I was trying to think of his name earlier, but Jeff Horn was the guy Pacquiao oh, yeah. lost to two but years that ago. Was, that was a robbery, though, you know? That was in Australia in Horn's backyard. I think everyone kind of thought that Pacquiao won that fight. But then he, I think, believe his last fight was against uh, Adrian Broner, and he won that unanimously, but that was kind of like a, a tale of, like, two guys who were kind of past their prime. But I, another thing about Pacquiao is that, like, this dude is, he's 40 years old, He's a senator in the Philippines. He plays, like, in the Filipino basketball league in his off time. And the guy's going to run for president to, soon. Yeah, I mean, for him to still be able to train and look like that and perform like that against, like, an elite welterweight in Keith Thurman. Like, he's Keith Thurman's never lost before this fight. I mean, it just it makes you wish that him and Mayweather would run it back. Which is know. possible. I mean, they've been talking about it. Every, everybody asked Manny Pacquiao you see another Floyd fight happening. He's like, basically that's up to Floyd. Cause he was there ringside promoting whatever the hell he was promoting. Floyd neutralized him in their fight. And I think a lot of people thought that that fight was, you know, it happened too late in both of their careers. But I mean, with Pacquiao looking the way he did on Saturday, if I'm Floyd, I want a zero part of him right now. Now how, how old is Manny? Uh, 40. Okay. So he's 40 years old. Thurman, 10 years younger than him. He's 30 years old. Same fighter who's ascended to the top of the 147-pound uh, weight class. He had big wins over, I believe, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia. Like, this guy This guy was trouble coming in for yeah, Manny Pacquiao. He through all of the, the PBC guys that they had to offer. But, um, you know, he had never fought, like, a legend like Pacquiao. He had never faced, like, a truly, like, elite, elite fighter like Terrence Crawford or Errol Spence. So, like, this was a big test, but I think a lot of people just, like, you look at the age and you look at the records of the guys like, yeah, Pacquiao is like he's been in so many fights versus, you know, Thurman still a relatively young career. He hasn't been totally active the last few years, but it, it seemed like it was Thurman's fight to win from the get go. And I mean, Thurman seemed as confident as ever. But, you know, Pacquiao was I like it really is like you have to go back and watch the fight two or three more times to just, like, really understand, like, how good of a performance it was against how good of a boxer Keith Thurman is. And how much would have you have bet on that fight going into it? Because you told me to put everything I had on well, Keith Thurman. Thurman. Was an underdog, and that was what was so surprising to me. I As soon as I saw that, I was like, man, if I, if I was a betting man, I would have definitely thrown a decent amount of money on Thurman. And you would have been a very, very disappointed man at whatever yeah, casino... No, I mean, they have in Kentucky going on. Apparently, uh, Adrian Broner said after the fight that he saw Thurman in like casinos placing bets on himself. And then Freddie Roach, uh, Pacquiao's legendary trainer, said he put a five thousand dollar bet on Pacquiao to win. So there was a lot of money riding on this fight, per usual in boxing. Keith Thurman is not a very popular guy in most of Northern America <laughs> right now. It's a uh, it's pretty rare you get a an American facing someone who's not American, and the American's the guy getting booed. But that just goes to show how loved Manny Pacquiao is. Coming out to Eye of the Tiger, smiling ear to ear. The fans love him. I mean, how can you not love Manny Pacquiao, though? So who do you think his next uh, fight's going to be? I mean, there's a few guys. Sean Porter, Errol Spence. You mentioned the Terrence Crawford fight. I think a Crawford-Pacquiao fight would be huge in 2020. 
Absolutely. Um, I don't like that fight for Pacquiao, but, you know... It, it's kind of a I farewell mean, fight. It's possible. I mean, I thought... I would say the next time Pacquiao loses, that would probably be the last time we'd see him. But I thought that was going to be on Saturday, and I was wrong. So I believe Errol Spence and Sean Porter are fighting next month or in September. So right, it's soon. Yeah. soon. And so that'll be that's two more champions going at it. And then if they can make it happen of like a you know a dual champ versus a dual champ, you know that's the welterweight division in 2019 is the best that like it's the best division boxing's had in a long. time. And you mentioned it before, Manny. Pa- so Manny Pacquiao wins a huge fight, a fight that many people wrote him off against against Keith Thurman. Wins the fight. When most people win a big fight, they celebrate. They go to a bar. They go wherever. John Jones goes to strip clubs. Uh, Super Bowl champions go to Disneyland. Uh, saw Mike Napoli when the Red Sox won the World Series, just in the streets of Boston in 2013, with a cigar in his mouth with his shirt off. Not Manny Pacquiao. We mentioned it earlier. Uh, a part of the Senate back home in the Philippines immediately got on a flight and tried to attend the State of the Union yeah. in his homeland, which is He's got work to do now. which is impressive. As soon as soon as he wins, does his um, does his media, does his press, and then uh, he's on a jet bound flight back to the Philippines. Tried to attend the State of the Union. Ended up missing it, but plans on being on at more government meetings going forward. Apparently, he left at 6 p.m. Pacific time Sunday via a private jet. Uh, made one stop for media and then was back home. Didn't make the State of the Union, hoping to participate more. Reportedly made $10 million in the fight against Keith Thurman. With more, he could potentially make more based on pay-per-view buys and other factors. It was just, right. what a guy. What a guy could be, and he yeah, said he might run for I president, mean, which is he's insane. A, he's an all-time human being for sure. And you mentioned the, you mentioned the Pacquiao Mayweather fight, the one that they could potentially have. Mayweather's obviously retired right now, was sitting ringside because he was promoting like half the event. Uh, mm-hmm. But you talk about Pacquiao's character. Pacquiao, one of the greatest fighters of all time, gives back gives champion. back to his community, and then you have a guy like Floyd Mayweather who has all the money in the world and buys. $30,000 fur coats with it. <laughs> right. How can you not I mean, pull for a guy like Pacquiao over you know, Mayweather? The Philippines and the United States are a little different of places, but, you know, I mean, Pacquiao is, he's a legend, man. So Pacquiao picks up the win over Thurman. John Jones could potentially be in more deep trouble. Let's talk Major League Baseball. I think that's, uh, I think it was a big weekend in Major League Baseball. A lot happened. I have my sure. sticky notes here. Cubs took two of three from the Padres. Not big news there. I think Anthony Rizzo had a grand slam on Friday. Yeah, saw that. So the Padres, after a hot start, kind of slowly fading back down to earth. After a hot few months, kind of just treading water. You just give them a year or two, they'll be there. But, you know, nothing's clicking at the moment. I mean, that that shortstop second base, too. You got Fernando Tatis. You have Manny Machado at third base. That's why I'm at the left side of the infield. Oh, yeah. I think Luke Casey could be a potential ace for him. Uh, Renfro's come up in a huge situation. I remember back in April, hit the walk-off grand slam off Kenley Jansen. Yeah, he's killing the ball. So the Cubs took two or three from the Padres. Yankees take two or three from the Rockies. Best record in baseball, Hunter. You're in for a reckoning this week in Minnesota. Big Twins fan. Twins had the the Oakland A's. How'd they fare there? Uh, So they... Split a four-game set. That's they not had a, good. A walk-off last night. Uh, Max Kepler came through once again. 
Um, it was kind of a case of like the bullpen didn't hold up as well as they normally have. Uh, see, every game was decided by uh, one run except uh, one game. Uh, so it was pitching duels for the most part, some late hitting. Chris Davis uh, won it for him in the ninth inning, I believe, on Saturday. Um, so the Twins haven't been playing the best baseball. July hasn't been the best month for them, and Cleveland is starting to uh, become Cleveland again. Yeah, essential man. It's only a three-game lead right now, but um, you know they'll pick it back up. They'll be fine. They need Byron Buxton back. I think he. It's proven to be that he's pretty crucial. I mean, I was going to say like, are the Twins either just having a poor month, or are the Indians just catching fire? I guess it's a little bit of both because they had like a ten-game yeah. lead at one point. Yeah, I mean, I we were never going to hold our, you know, amazing ground that we had after the first couple months of the year. But Cleveland is playing really good ball. They're, they're clicking. You even knew that. Like, they, the Twins had the best record in baseball for at least two months, the first two months of the year, April and May. They were just kicking ass. And then... Yeah, no, I mean, and it was, it was a case of where if it was a high-scoring game, we were putting up 12, 14 runs, hitting home run after home run after home run. But then the next night we would come back and win a 2-1 pitcher's duel, making great plays in the outfield. And, you know, it, it didn't seem like they knew how to lose for a while. They they knew how to get it done whenever they needed to. And as a Twins fan, you're, you were still like, okay, we're going to come back down to earth here. Like, we're up 10 games in the division right now, but we know easily that the Indians are still very much in this division. Yeah, I mean, a healthy Indians team is uh, – a top five team in baseball. I mean, Jose Ramirez hasn't been Jose Ramirez, but, you know, that'll always change. Lindor is an amazing hitter and fielder short. I mean, when they get – if Kluber – I don't know how Kluber's going to be when he comes back, but he's starting to pitch again. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, they lost uh, Carrasco. But Shane Bieber, uh, Clevenger, you know, like really solid, solid guys that can just eat up a lot of innings. I mean, if Kluber comes back to Klubot status, you might be in trouble. Trevor yeah. Bauer is probably one of the more intelligent and uh, charismatic guys you can have on a yeah. baseball roster. It'll be interesting to see if they um, keep him on the trade block or not. Well, now that they're three games back and they've got a wild card spot, I don't know. Probably not. Yeah, no, I mean, you'd think they might even try and buy, but uh, the Indians have been buyers like the last four or five seasons. Give, I remember at the beginning of the year, like Kluber and Bauer were always going to be somewhat available, like in parentheses available. Like it would yeah. take a haul for them to actually give either one of them up because I know Bauer's under control for at least one more year. Same mm-hmm. goes for Kluber. But yeah, now they're three games back. They ha- currently have a wild card spot. Them in uh, Tampa Bay should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, they get to play Toronto at the moment too, so that's uh, should be a nice couple wins. Uh, it's always fun playing the Blue Jays, dude. It, when when they when the Blue Jays come to the Bronx, it's always a good time. Yeah, man, that's that's get so you, crazy. Get your bats in. Franchises uh, fell from grace since the the famous Jose Bautista home run. You like look back at that team, like Donaldson MVP, Bautista like playing out of his mind. Like Pilar, the best defensive center fielders in the game that I've ever seen. I mean, I, I I couldn't tell you the GM at the time. I remember like it's, it was like double A's. It was like Andy something, their GM. Yeah. He must have felt so awesome after trading Brett Lowry to the A's for Josh Donaldson yeah. after the 2014 season. 
becomes MVP in 2015. Yeah, Tra- one of the best trades of the decade. And yeah, unless you're the White Sox who traded Fernando Tatis to the Padres for big game James Shields. Yeah, I mean, like, I specifically remember when the Blue Jays and the Marlins made that big trade for, like, Josh Johnson and Jose Reyes. And it was like, okay, like, this is, like, a, a lethal team. And then, you know, they had their their tiny little playoff run. Didn't work. And then they just kind of disbanded. It was, like, one guy after the other, it seemed. Lethal, now, lethal team equals Jose Reyes and Josh Johnson. At the time, yes. <laughs> But think about that. Josh, I haven't heard from Josh Johnson in about seven years, I don't think. Uh, he's one of those guys that faded. Kind of like Josh Beckett, kind of just faded out of the league. Like Cliff mm-hmm. Lee and Barry Zito. Speaking of, Josh Beckett and Cliff Lee both on the ballot for the Hall of Fame next year. How about that? Yeah. How sure about that? I saw 2%. Next uh, year's class is probably just going to be a one-man show in Jeter. Which will be rather disappointing if you actually go out to Cooperstown. I was thinking about going out this year, which would have been awesome, because you had Rivera, yeah. you had Roy you Halladay, who his wife gave a very touching yeah, speech. that was really good. That was really good. Edgar Martinez, mm-hmm. Mike Mussina, uh, Lee Smith got in, Harold Baines. Am I missing anyone? Um, that's everybody. That's a- Okay, so that's everybody. So yep. Smith, Baines, Halliday, Mussina, Martinez, and Rivera. It was a good. It was a good class. A lot of class act guys. Rivera first yeah, ballot, yeah. unanimous first unanimous Hall of Fame inductee. The other guys, Halliday, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer, touching there after dying in the plane mm-hmm. crash a few years ago. And then yeah. guys like Mussina, who have been waiting to get in after a few years, finally gets in. Edgar Martinez, final year on the ballot. Final yeah, year on the ballot. I, it would for have been Edgar. a shame to see Edgar Martinez not get in. I mean, it, I I understand people's point of view as well. He didn't play in the field, so like, how can I put someone who only hit in the Hall of Fame? But I mean, he was too good to deny. Man, he had like an OPS over four hundred for like six or seven seasons. Like, I mean, the, he just got on base. So many big hits too, and there's a lot of people who argue out there that David Ortiz is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, if David Ortiz is a first ballot Hall of Famer, how is Edgar Martinez just getting yeah, in, in right. his 10th I mean, year on the ballot? If Edgar Martinez played for the Red Sox instead of the Mariners. You know, I mean, it's it's the same thing. But that, it was, I mean, yeah, saying that now, playing for the Mariners, and it's just like it probably would help him playing for a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox as opposed to the Mariners or the White Sox. But, like, back then, it was Edgar Martinez, it was Ken Griffey Jr., it was Alex yeah. Rodriguez, it was Brett Boone. Like, they had a good team. And, like, I, if you look at the stats, you know, it's very unfair for Martinez to have to wait that long to get in and for Ortiz to be first ballot because the stats aren't too far apart. And Dave, Well, with David Ortiz, I don't know, I don't think Edgar, the Mariners have never won a World Series. So Edgar Martinez is never won a World Series. Right. Um, David Ortiz has three. Was so the other thing with Ortiz, as good, great as a hitter as he was, lifetime over three hundred as yeah, over I mean, five hundred player in October ever. He, know, like he he, he he helped change the the atmosphere in Boston because Boston yeah, before two thousand four was a loser city. Like nobody enjoyed themselves in Boston, from what I hear. And then that 04 came, and then 04 came around. Like everybody chant, would chant 1918 in the stadium. Like I honestly wish I could have been a part of that atmosphere at Yankee Red Sox games. I feel like there were so many fights in the crowd, so many fights on the field too. Like yeah. the atmosphere was just different back then, given they hadn't won in 85 plus years. 
And that team came in. I think it was Johnny Damon. It was Manny Ramirez, Kevin Millar, Big Poppy. Bronson Arroyo. Bronson Arroyo. A-Rod slapping the ball out of his mitt. Yeah, man. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, Ortiz is – he's a character, and he's someone who, like, a lot of people our age, like, grew up idolizing. So, I mean, I, like, he is a Hall of Famer. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not. But, you know, if, if Edgar Martinez had to wait that long – David Ortiz being first ballot is, you know, it's a little wonky, but for different circumstances, I understand. So to me, David Ortiz is definitely going to get into the Hall of Fame, especially after what happened a few months ago. That that kind of adds to it, too. Yeah, and that, and that sucks that that stuff kind of adds to it. Like, Roy Halladay was definitely going to get into the Hall of Fame. I don't know that he would have been first ballot, but after him dying the way he did, and like right. kind of looking back at his career, it was like, you know, one of those things where you kind of have to put him in. Same like it's a, like Ron Santo had to die to get into the Hall of Fame. Like stuff like that sucks. Well, that's gonna be Pete Rose too once he dies. Yeah, and that's a shame. We're gonna make the best hitter in baseball history have to wait to get in over something that didn't even involve the game. Free Pete. Get your T-shirt Free now at designtree.com. Belly up sports. There's your plug. Another guy. So you you think it's just gonna be Jeter next year? I believe. The other, like, quote-unquote headliners, if you will, is uh, Jason Giambi and Bobby Abreu. So, yeah, he might be alone. Yeah, it's going to be Jeter. And there's there's your your Eric Chavez's and Rafael Fercal and Lyle Overbay in the group. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, Jeter. Yeah. I'll be interested to see what percentage Jeter falls at. Well, so those are the new guys going in. So Jeter, obviously, first ballot Hall of Famer. Probably won't get the unanimous vote. To right, me, and then you've got the the Schilling and Clemens and Bonds. Right, Kurt Schilling should be in the Hall of Fame. Multiple, so three-time World Series champion, won one in Arizona, two in Boston. His political views, I think, are like the number one thing keeping him out of the Hall, which is yeah, ridiculous. He, he should keep his mouth shut. I mean, he should keep his mouth shut, and at the same time, like, he, he makes it clear that he's like, I'm not in the Hall of Fame because of my political views. Like, okay, you're right, but, like, shut up, you know? Yeah. Be humble about and, it. And I think it's another one of those things, like, with David Ortiz, like, when I think of Kurt Schilling, like, you think of, like, all of those moments that he had as a pitcher. Like, I don't think about, like, his win-loss or his career or anything. It's, like, it's what made Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling was, like, you know, the bloody sophomore and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And he he was co-MVPs with Randy Johnson in 2001 for the Diamondbacks. Deadly one-two punch in the rotation. Yeah. Like, can you imagine in that World Series just facing Kurt Schilling in Game 6 and Randy Johnson in Game 7? Yeah, no, You're I done. think if it wasn't for Randy Johnson being left-handed, I think a lot of people would have maybe even called Schilling better than him at the time. And then he goes over to Boston. The bloody sock moment, obviously. like It's an all-timer. The, the seams in his stitches in his ankle come apart during the game. Yep. Pitches now, seven shutout innings. What, you, what, are, what is your stance on the, uh, the Barry Bonds getting into the Hall of Fame and but, just the steroid era in general? Well, that's what I was going to ask you because so Jeter's obviously the for sure one getting in next year. Obviously, Lyle Overbay, Bobby Abreu, Jason Giambi are going <laughs> to... They're going to wait it out on the ballot. Like, if Jorge Posada gets uh, booted from the ballot after one year, gets doesn't even get 5% of the vote, I don't see Lyle Overbay getting 5% of the vote. Jason Giambi is going to be plagued for steroids, so he's not getting in. Bobby Abreu was a good, dangerous hitter for a while. Very good at times, yeah. Like, I don't think he ever uh, was in the PED picture. 
I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe people have accused him. I don't think he ever actually got accused for them. But at the same time, like, he's not, like, a once-in-a-generation superstar. He, yeah. he might get in. Maybe He might be, like, an Edgar Martinez, like, eighth, ninth year on the ballot one day. But, like, he'll never so, headline an event. The uh, guys returning uh, on the ballot. So Schilling, Clemens, and Bonds all in their eighth year, all at 60-59%. Larry Walker is 10th year in the ballot next year, 54%. Omar Vizquel, Manny Ramirez... Uh, Jeff Kent, uh, Andy Pettit, Sammy Sosa, Andrew Jones, a lot of guys who are just the the fringe, and if their names were brought up at the PEDs, it's just, it hurts, man. It's one of those things. It's just like, you know, it, don't get your name involved with the, the cheating, and it won't, you know, affect you getting into the hall. Well, so Larry Walker with the Rockies, right? Like, I think he should right. be in the hall. I don't think he ever... I don't think he was ever in that discussion. Same with Andrew Jones. Like, Andrew Jones, obviously, the first half of his career when he was a young kid with the Braves, a lot more valuable than when he was with the White Sox and the Yankees towards the end of his career when he was, like, 33 years old, but considered, like, a grandpa. Such an amazing defender, and I think what made Andrew Jones not stand out was that you never, aside, like, the Spider-Man catch, like, you never saw him make a ton of amazing plays, but that's because he always got right under the ball. Oh yeah, he didn't have to go out there and make the diving catch because he was he was under it by the time it was in his glove. So I I think he he's gonna go down really underappreciated, but um, I don't know if I would put him in the Hall of Fame myself. I, I mean, obviously, like I've been in, down the South all summer. I've been to Atlanta a few times. Like everybody thinks Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, just like his first, like when he came up into the big leagues, he was. He was like what Vladdy Guerrero is right now. Like, he was the stud in MLB. Like, he was mm-hmm. 17, 18 years old, just kicking ass, maining center field for the Braves teams that had, like, John Smoltz and Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin in that rotation. Going to as many World Series as they did, they won in 95, 96. They were in a 99 World Series. The only one they won was in 95. Um, but Andrew Jones, great hitter early on in his career. Decent hitter. Like, I'd have him in my lineup during those years when he was 33-34 with the Yankees and the and the White Sox. I don't know who else he was with. But he was a decent hitter. I mean, he wasn't, like, 3-4 hitter, but, like, a, a guy to have, like, in the 6th hole or the 7th hole, that's a bat I'd want. Hit a home run in CeCe Sabathia's uh, celebrity uh, softball game this year at Yankee Stadium. That counts yeah, for sure. something. Always smiling in the batter's box. Like, every time you saw him on TV, he'd get in his stance and he'd just smile towards the pitcher. Like, why is he smiling? One of those guys who love the game, Freddie Freeman. Maybe it's wearing the Braves uniform. I don't know. I, Andrew Jones, to me, I, I'd vote him in. He might be a—what was this? This has got to be, like, his second or third year on the ballot. It's his, it'll be his third year next. Third and year. he only got 7.5%. Last year, so he's barely staying on. And actually, one guy that I forgot that's going to be uh, on the ballot next year for the first time is Paul Canerco. And that's... Canerco, Canerco can get into the Hall. He's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. But he's he's a legend in, on the south side of Chicago. Like, like, he and Todd Helton fall in the same boat for me. Where, like, I really loved watching those guys play. And I would put him in the Hall of Fame. But then you go back and look at the numbers. And you're like, eh, I don't know if I can justify it based off of just, like, just my love for watching him play. So, to answer your question, though, about Bonds and Clemens, I do believe that they should be in the Hall of Fame because both of them, like, obviously, numbers were enhanced towards the end of their career. Bonds, obviously, 
You look at his days in Pittsburgh, uh, pipsqueak compared to what he was in San Francisco, just a rock. Still an amazing player. Still, still would have been a Hall of Famer. Still one of the That's, best hitters of all time. Maybe not the home run king. About it is he didn't need it. He didn't need it. Goes to San Francisco, becomes the rock that he was. It's 73 home runs in 2003 after McGuire and Sosa hit, what, they hit 61, 62. Um, and then yep. those guys, I think, I think Sammy Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame. McGuire, no. Sosa, I think, has got a shot. Yeah, um, he's at... Uh, Sosa's at 9%, and next year will be his eighth year in the ballot, so something major would have to turn around. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see him get in, but obviously those numbers don't uh, don't go in his favor. So, but Bonds, yeah, I think Bonds and Clemens both have received a considerate amount of the votes over the past few years. Like, I think writers yeah, have it's, changed. It's slowly gone up. Yeah. And I think it'll, be, it'll take their last year in the ballot to put them in. So, me personally... I think you need to put them in only because it's fair to acknowledge that era of baseball. And I feel like if like if you put those guys in, you have to put guys like Pete Rose in though. Because like we're talking about like the baseball Hall of Fame, right? Not like the the people Hall of Fame because some of the guys that are in there now, Ty Cobb, uh not a first ballot people Hall of Famer, but you know, one of the best to ever do it. It's it's one of those things where, like, you, you just can't deny that era of baseball. It was, I mean, I wasn't around for it, but just, like, looking back, it had to have been more fun to watch. And although, like, some of these guys were cheating, I don't know. I don't, I like, to me, like, Hank Aaron's still the home run king, you know? Yeah. Like, it, I don't acknowledge these guys as, like, anything more than good baseball players. And it, it's a shame because with Barry Bonds, technically, like mo- many people, like you just said, still think Hank Aaron's technically the home run king. Like technically on paper, in the books, Barry Bonds is the home run king with 763 or whatever he has. Yeah. I mean, you just got to put an asterisk next to it. it. It's a shame because those big home runs that were being hit, like 714, 755, 700, 600, 500, used to be big home runs back in the day. I remember watching as a kid, watching A-Rod hit his... 500th and 600th home run like that was a big deal back then i mean albert pujols i think hit 600 last year or the year before really wasn't that big of a deal nobody really cares anymore about the home run total it doesn't seem so i mean albert pujols first bout hall of famer by the way oh yeah uh the greatest hitter i've ever seen when he was with the cardinals most dangerous hitter in baseball yeah for for like five six years he was the best hitter in baseball I mean, him in the NL at first base and Miguel Cabrera with the Tigers and the AL, two of the most deadly hitters ever at the same time. And now, Pujols is still holding up somewhat okay. Maybe not so much. Really wish he'd get out of Detroit. I'd love to see him finish his career in like a a David Ortiz style, just like a cushy DH spot for a really good team. Maybe pick up a World Series ring or two. I mean, the Tigers... I mean, let me take a look at the baseball standings right now. Dead last. They're like the Orioles this year. So they're 30 and 65, winning right. percentage of 316. They're 28 and a half games back in the twins of the of the twins in the division. Baltimore's 31 and 67. They're 33 games back. That that's that's not good if you're the Tigers. I mean, a guy like okay. Miguel Cabrera goes unrecognized with a team like that. I mean, given the amount of injuries too, like he's not, he's not the study was, but yeah, like you said, like I'd like, I'd like to see him as a DH on like a comfy, like really good baseball team. Maybe like the Astros or the Oakland A's. 
Yeah, I mean the Tigers are like they just like you look at their their roster and you're like, man, like who who are some of these guys? Yeah. I mean, Michael like, Brantley and, and came like, out of nowhere this year. And no no disrespect whatsoever to any of these guys, but, I mean, it's just like when, you know, you're running out lineups, like what Baltimore does on a daily basis, where, like, you've got to, like, look up who these guys are and, like, where they've came from. It's Like, the Tigers were really good not that long ago. So they went to the World Series 2012. So they, I think it was ALCS 2011, World Series 2012, ALCS 2013 and after that they haven't done anything i don't even think they've made the playoffs you know i mean like the 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 david price verlander uh scherzer you know squad and now you know besides like miggy and nick castellanos i mean they have a couple uh like jacoby jones is all right nico goodrum's you know he's decent they have candelario a third who could be good down the line but not a whole lot of pitching not a whole lot of run support for the not-so-great pitching. Okay. It's just, there's not running a good ball club out there. Get Castellanos at the uh, walk-off home run yesterday. So, feel-good yep. win there in extra innings. But you mentioned that rotation. You had Verlander in his prime. 2011 uh, MVP and uh, Cy Young Award winner. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. That was the peak of his prime during those first few years in Detroit. So he's with the Diamondbacks, gets traded to the Tigers in that three-team deal that sent Curtis Granderson to the Yankees in 2010. Right. Those few years, 2011, 2012, that's when Scherzer was getting good. Like, you knew he had, like, really good potential to be a great pitcher. And then he goes over to the Nationals and becomes Hall of Fame worth. And then David Price as your three guy? Uh, yeah, yeah, Rick Porcello in the four spot. I mean, that that rotation, I mean, when you look back at that, that's like looking at Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant with Oklahoma City, who they now have two-thirds of that reunited in Houston with your Rockets. Yep, yep. But, but no, I, it's... The, the, the franchise is in a bad state. Are we talking about the Tigers or the... Uh, the, Tigers, the th- yeah, okay. Yeah. No, the Rockets were in the championship. Don't worry about that. Okay, I won't worry. Uh, what were t- so the we were talking about the Hall of Fame bad the Bonds and the Clemens getting and Roger Clemens without steroids one of the greatest pitchers of all time didn't need him Bonds one of the greatest hitters of all time without steroids didn't need him I think they both get in like you said like maybe in the tenth year in their ballot in eligibility I think they both get in just because of their numbers uh, guys like this year guys like Andy Pettit a- Andy Pettit should be a Hall of Famer to me I think he has the most wins in Yankees history. Uh, if that not, if not, if not all time for a left-handed pitcher, um, yeah. obviously. Best pickoff move I've ever seen. Oh my Andy god, Pitt. he it was so slick. Yeah, I think he picked off like at least one guy a game. It, it seemed like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he definitely towed the line with balking, but it was uh, he was he was one of those guys where he got in the hitter's head mentally before the at bat even started. He was. It was fun to watch. I mean, it, it was like a mental death stare when you're in the box and he has his uh, glove hovered over his eyes. Yeah, and it's not like he's going to blow you away with something, but he's just going to change speed, mix it up, and make you look stupid. I mean, his name's always going to be involved with the PED stuff because he actually admitted during Clemens's trial back in 2007, 2008, 2009, whenever it was. So his name's always going to be included with those guys. Um 
the Sosas, the Maguires. Again, those guys, I don't know if they're in that Bonds and Clemens category where they would have been awesome either way. Because obviously that yeah. one year when they battled, they both beat Roger Maris. His home run total was just insane. I mean, I think when, like, if you were to, like, ask people who, like, Mark McGuire is, like, any, like, random, like, casual sports fan, I don't think a ton of people are going to know McGuire. But, like, like, Sammy Sosa is, like, a very, very, very popular yeah. player when he was around. And especially now for like his whole skin tone issue he has, <laughs> which is bizarre. Like I don't, I don't want to dive too deep into that. I don't want to make it be like, oh wow, these guys are assholes talking about his skin color. But <laughs> no, like what? Just... Like he uses like some special cream, and that's what he's saying that's making his skin white. Like mm-hmm. I don't believe it. It's weird. But like you look at like a picture of him in a Cubs uniform versus a picture of him now, and you're like, that's not the same person. <laughs> very Michael Jackson X. Very, very much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's my take on the hall of fame. Anyway, I think bonds and Clemens both get in eventually. It's, you know, it's a really tough thing. Like you, everyone's going to be one way or the other, but I think it's important to look at what those people did for baseball, the good and the bad, and then look at their statistics with and without steroids and make a decision based off that. Well, Mariano Rivera didn't have any issues with that. So Rivera gets in first, unanimous Hall of Famer. Halliday goes in, Lee Smith, Harold Baines, Edgar Martinez in his final year on the ballot. And then Mike Messina, of course, splitting time with the Orioles and Yankees. Two guys, so Messina obviously split half of his career with the Orioles, half of it with the Yankees, decided to go in without a logo on the cap on his plaque. Yep. Which makes sense because he kind of split it right down the middle. Both organizations, he said, meant so much to his career. He didn't want to choose. Roy Halladay, to me, I've, he spent the majority of his career with the Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously, in his short time with the Phillies, two, uh, what was it? Two no hitters, a perfect game, or a perfect game and a no hitter in that first year. Perfect game yeah, against the Marlins. No hitter against the Reds in the postseason. Right, so that was that a perfect game or a no hitter? And they, uh, I believe it was a perfect game. I'm pretty sure it was. So he pitched sure. two perfect games that year. Um, give me one second. I, I I know for a fact it was a perfect game against the Marlins in Miami. I think in like May or June that year, and then he pitched either the perfect game or a no hitter against the Reds in Game One of the NLDS. Him and Don right. Larson. I think it was a no hitter against the Reds. Okay, so and, yeah, perfect game. And that the and that was the second. Uh, no-hitter to go alongside Don Larson's perfect game in the uh, World Series against the Dodgers. So those two are the only two to throw no-hitters in a postseason game. But to me, like, he he went in capless, too. Like, I guess his wife decided to go in capless, too. But to me, I feel like he would have won in a Blue Jay. I wonder if he, I mean, obviously, he may have just not made the decision yet before he passed, which, you know, I mean, obviously, like, no one would ever make that decision for him. (laughs) But, I mean, I... Definitely remember him as a Blue Jay, but what he did with the Phillies, like with how dirty that team was, speaking of like amazing rotations, him, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, that group, Jamie Moyer, even, do you want to throw him in there? That was really fun to watch. And Roy Halladay, like, I mean, the sinker was unmatched. So, like I mentioned before, big weekend in baseball. Dodgers made the Marlins look like fools this weekend. Matt Beauty with a Huge home run on Saturday. I think Clayton Kershaw was... I was watching the game kind of just dozing off. 
And uh, Clayton Kershaw had like eight strikeouts in the first three innings. Was was making the Marlins look like high school players. Like yeah, Curtis Granderson just like done. buckling at the knees after every 12-6 that, that was thrown he's, his way. He's having a really rough year. Now, the, Do- the Dodgers are the first team to get to that Jordan Yamamoto kid who has been like the one of the sole bright spots for Miami. Yeah, I mean, Curtis Granderson's yeah. hitting like 158 right now. Yeah, and this might Bueller, be it. It's disgusting. I mean, Kershaw and Bueller, if they're on the same page, if they're both rocking at the same time, that that's dangerous. I mean, they're up I mean, 16 games in the division anyway. Like, the Diamondbacks the way, aren't catching up. The way the postseason works where you don't need, you know, more than three or four starters. I mean, Kershaw, Bueller, Ryu. I mean, good luck. <sighs> it's scary. So with the Dodgers, I've said this multiple times. Like, they're, they're, they're the favorites, right? I mean, the Brewers are having a they, decent they year. Cub, Cubs actually lead that division by two games. But that, like, the NL Central to me is always up for grabs. Like, it's always so neck and neck. I mean, the Cardinals are even two and a half games back. Half game back in the loss column. Dodgers up 16 games in the division. Nobody's catching up to them. The Braves up six and a half against Washington. The Phillies are always going to be in the mix, but they're kind of having a disappointing year after signing Harper and Real Muto. That's the Braves division to lose. Um... Astros obviously have Verlander and Garrett Cole at the top of their rotation to complement their offense, which can be deadly at times. Uh, Pretty uh, casual year for the Astros. I mean, they're up six and a half over the Oakland, but you know they've pretty much got that one wrapped up. Like they're they're waiting to catch fire at any moment. They they haven't been healthy for the majority of the year. I mean, at one point, Altuve, Springer, and Correa were all injured. I mean, I think we can all agree Correa isn't the shortstop from offensive standpoint that he was after the first few years of his career, probably one of the more uh, overrated I mean, shortstops. I think Correa will definitely finish his career as a third baseman. Well, yeah, Bregman at third right now. Yep. Who's just killing it for the Astros. But, we uh, mentioned- I mean, yeah, it's the, the Astros is another one of those teams where it's, it's a different guy every night that's getting you. And then you have Verlander or Garrett Cole on the mound and like you you're kind of helpless because like if if one thing's not working the other thing is I mean that's the one thing like there's so many Yankee fans that are like oh, who's gonna stop the Yankees like we're just too good I'm like uh, I could think of three three things that could stop the Yankees Justin Verlander Garrett Cole and the Los Angeles Dodgers definitely and then in the, in no, the I mean, it's yeah in the Dodgers case they've lost in the World Series two years in a row they lost in Game 7 against the Astros in 2017, got embarrassed last year, as far as I'm concerned, in five games against the Red Sox. Like, showed no life in that series except for the 18-inning game um, where I think Muncie hit the walk-off home run. But the, if they go back to the World Series this year, it's not like, oh, man, we're just happy to be here. Like, they, right. like they're, not, they're not slowing down this year. Like, I feel like the first year they made the World Series, it was, they were, like, clear favorites. Ran right over the Cubs and uh, whoever they played in the uh, NLDS, uh, the Diamondbacks. They swept the Diamondbacks, took yeah. quick care of the Cubs in five games in the NLCS, and then great back-and-forth series with the Astros just fell short. Last year, they had to play 163 games, beat um, the Rockies in game 163, end up beating the Braves in the division series, end up beating, uh, who'd they play in the championship series last year? Uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah, right, Milwaukee in seven games. Um, 
another great back and forth series there and then showed no life in the World Series at all. This year, they're steamrolling their way to the World Series and they're not stopping there. Like it's going to take awesome pitching and deadly offense for anybody from the American League to beat the Dodgers in the World Series this year. I believe, I think we mentioned it uh, once a while ago, if they were to lose the World Series again, they'd be the first team ever to lose three consecutive Three in a row, yeah. Which would be awesome to see. I'd love to see. I'd love to see the Yankees pounce on the Dodgers, like, in quick fashion. Like, do, like to me, Dodger fans, and I've said this, like, like I've been so repetitive with this, are they're just, like, not real baseball fans. Like, they have, obviously, like, not all Dodger fans are just, like, schlups who sit in the crowd and drink beer and just get shit-faced. But a lot of them, like, don't even watch the game. Like, there's so many Dodger fans. Like, I have this one Dodger uh, friend who's a Dodger fan. So I have one friend who's a Dodger fan. And uh, I asked her, name me three players on the Dodgers. And this was, like, two weeks ago. She said Yasiel Puig. Right. Manny Machado. Okay. And Matt Kemp. They are long gone, sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Like, a, a good eight months. Like, I, the, like, they traded Kemp and Puig in December of last year. Machado's been gone since the World Series, ever since Chris Sale broke his ankle with a slider. But yeah, I mean, Los Angeles is a fair-weather city, man. It's kind of just what you expect at this point. I mean, you see the Dodgers record, and then, like, they're in L.A., so it's like, yeah, sure, I'll root for those guys. I mean, I feel like L.A.'s just, like you mentioned, fair weather. Like, they root for anybody in L.A. Like, you got the Lakers, Clippers, Dodgers, Angels. You got the Rams, the Chargers now moved from San Diego. Yeah, they're definitely blessed. Now, there was an article. I, I forget who wrote it on uh, Belly Up Sports. Basically calling out one of the Barstool guys for saying that uh, people who root for more than one team should, should like, die. They shouldn't be allowed on this planet. Well, like, what's what's your take on that? To me, like, you can have more than one team, but, like, you have to have, like, one team that, like, you're diehard so, of. Like, I'm a diehard New York Yankee fan. Like, nothing's going right. to change that. But, like, after the Yankees are done, like, I'll throw on the Dodgers. Like, I, I can get into the Dodgers. Like, I follow the team. I think it is wrong to support more than one team in an individual sport. I mean, I don't know. Like, it... You have to be like you have to be a fan of a team. You have to be all about that team. You can't like oh yeah like I like I have plenty of buddies who are that way with like college teams or like like I I don't think you can like be a Kentucky basketball fan and be an Alabama football fan. Like I, I think you've got you've got to roll the one college. You've got to roll with the one team and the one sport. You can I mean like I have like guys that I like on like every MLB team. You know like I'm I'm a big fan. Like I of course I do. I watch a lot of it. But, like, I'm never going to, like, root for another team that's not the Minnesota Twins. No. I think I think the main argument in that article was that uh, sports is becoming a talent, like, a player-driven industry. Like, people yeah, felt like, I obviously, think. like, all the LeBron fans went from Cleveland to Miami back to Cleveland to Los Angeles, you know? Like, they're not— yeah. They're not. They're not. They're not Cleveland Cavalier fans or LeBron James fan. Like with oh, baseball yeah. and football, like it's different. You're you're a fan of the team. Like in basketball, like in basketball, like you're obviously a Rockets fan, right? So, and to me, I'm a Phoenix Suns fan. So I'm like we're fans of the team. You know, like we're not going to shift focus to one given player. Like if Devin Booker yeah, no, goes I mean, to Boston, I'll, I'll I'm not a Celtics fan. Goes when he's on Houston anymore, and like. And like I'm not a fan of Russell Westbrook, but like I'll be damned if I'm not gonna support him right. playing for the Rockets. You know, it's I'm I'm here for the team, not for the players. 
Like I, like I, I'm a fan of players too. Like I can watch. Like like I said, like once the Yankee game's over, I'll turn on the Dodger game. I can follow them. Like I'm. Like, I'm a fan of the Dodgers. Like, I'm a fan of the team. Like, I can get into them, but, like, I'm not a Dodgers fan. Like, I'm a diehard Yankees fan. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's how it works. So you want to get into um, – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, with baseball, it's, like, I don't think I see as many of those fans just because baseball's so terrible at marketing their players in the first place. I don't think it's baseball's fault as much as it is the players' fault. Like, I, I know Rob Manfred I mean, wants, like, I'm Mike Trout player, to market like, himself way gonna, better. Like, I'm not going to, like, try and market myself more than, like, the team or the league that I'm playing for should already be doing for me, you know? That's fair. I mean, but I feel like in the NBA, it's more the players than it is the actual association. Oh, definitely. The amount of, like, fan accounts you see on, like, Twitter for, like, a certain player, not for just, like, a team is it's ludicrous. But, like, baseball to me, like, obviously people don't like it because it's long. Like, they need to shorten play, yada, yada, yada. Like, players aren't necessarily becoming more popular in the eyes of NBA fans or even NFL fans, you know? Like, in the NFL, you have the, like, Patriot fans are Patriot fans, I think. And, obviously, as long as Belichick and Brady are there, like, they're just going to keep bringing in some no-name guy and then turn him into a star. Yeah, but like the Odell, like Odell Beckham Jr. fans are out there. You got Antonio Brown fans. Like people are starting to bring that NBA like culture of like just player, like your fans of the player, not the team, into the NFL more than they are into Major League Baseball. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like it, it's a lot of cases where like a certain player makes you a fan of a team. Yeah. But like at the same time, like with LeBron, like I wouldn't like go from being a Heat fan to a Cavs fan. To a Lakers fan, like I would stick with that that team once LeBron was gone, or you know, yeah. however people want to look at that. I feel uh, like I, the I'm sure like with Los Angeles, like I I'm sure there Mike Trout has probably made a lot of people you know invested in like Angels baseball yeah. in Los Angeles and like want to go to games and want to see them and Otani and Cole Calhoun and those guys. I mean, L.A. in general, like we were talking about, like I think Laker fans. Like, obviously, they have more fans now that LeBron's there. Like, the LeBron fans carried over, and now they're Lakers fans. But, like, Laker fans, I feel like, have been there forever. I mean, they've had Magic. They had uh, Kobe. They have LeBron now. Like, Laker fans are there. Like, Boston Celtic fans, I think, are there. They support the team. You know, mm-hmm. through, like, the Terry Rogiers and the Jason Tatums. Like, they like well, yeah. that team. And with places like Boston and New York and Los Angeles, like, you have, like, a mecca for like all things sports all things pro we're like okay like i'm going to be like a boston fan so i'm going to support yeah. the red Sox, the patriots the bruins the celtics or like me i'm from lexington kentucky i've lived here my whole life like i don't like i mean there's like quote-unquote local teams like the reds and the Bengals or whatever but like i i don't want to like I, i've like spanned out like who what teams i support but like those are always going to be the teams i support so, it's totally different subject here, but... Uh, so, I was watching the Yankee game the other day, and Paul O'Neill's on the broadcast with the play-by-play guy. Um, and they were talking about just trying to speed up the game, and they were talking about, like, bringing college rules into MLB rules, which I think is interesting. So, like, after five innings, if you're up by ten runs, like, let's say you're up nine-nothing in the bottom of the fifth, they score tenth run... It's 10 nothing. That's the game. Yeah. Like, I feel like the crowd would get hyped up for that, knowing, like, okay, if they score here, it's over and we can get out of here. 
Like that's an yeah. interesting concept. I don't know, man. I I I'm not for a ton of the baseball rule changes just because baseball is beautiful the way that it is that there is no time limit and you know like you you play until the game is over. Right. And like with the 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 pitch clock and like the certain number of mound visits, like some of it I get. Like you want to speed up the game. But baseball is not one of those sports that's going to keep drawing eyes. Like, the fans who are fans of baseball are fans of baseball and watch it because of the way that it's played now, because they grew up playing it, or they just have a love for, um, you know, the mental aspect of sports. You're, like, shortening a game by, like, uh, an inning or two, or, like, only playing, like, 50 less games in a season is not going to bring in a bunch of new fans. I mean, not this wouldn't necessarily put a time limit on baseball, but, like, if you're up... 10 nothing in the game in the fifth inning. I think they were saying uh, with the Yankees case, I don't know what it is with the other 29 teams, but the Yankees case, if they're up by nine runs after five innings, they're winning 99.9% of the time. So, like, it doesn't right. really, like, it's make that, a difference. That 0.01% that, you know, it's possible. Right. And to me, like, I agree with you in the sense, like, baseball fans really don't, like, there's a lot of people out there, like, baseball needs to change for the better. Like, me personally, like, I can sit through a nine-inning baseball game the way it is. No problem. Like, if you like baseball, you like watching it, you know? Like, there, of course, there are a ton of people out there who are baseball fans, but they can't sit through a game. I think there was a scout who said, like, baseball's so boring these days, I just can't, like, sit through a game. There's just got to be, like, more entertainment or whatever. But, like, if you're a fan of baseball, like you have been for the first 18, 19, 20 years of your life, you like the way it is. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a reason that, like, people fall in love with the sport. And, like, it, it's it been the, the same way it's been for however long since right. the game started to be played. So I, I wouldn't uh, succumb into, like, people whining about, like, the games being too long. It's like you said, then you have, like, the fans in, like, Los Angeles who are, aren't even going to the game to watch the baseball in the first place. Like, if you shorten, like, the games or whatever, or if you try to put a time limit on it, it's not going to draw interest. I mean, that's just them. They're just weird fans. Not, I, I, I don't particularly think Dodger fans... I don't think L.A. fans in general are just sports fans. I feel like they, like, watch the team, but they're, it's not like the East Coast or the Midwest where, like, it's, like, sports teams or die, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot more going on in Los Angeles on a daily basis than, you know, in, in Boston. Right. So you want to get into Yankees-Twins? Sure. Let's Yan- preview it. Yankees head to Minnesota to play the Minnesota Twins. 60-38. Yankees are 64-34. and 34. You got CeCe Sabathia on the mound tonight. 5-4. Uh, 4.06 ERA. Who is it? It's, I think it's Perez for the Twins. Martin Perez, yeah. Martin Perez, 8-3. He does have a 4-10 ERA. Uh, I think tomorrow you got ooh, you got Domingo Herman tomorrow. So he's 12-2 against right. Gibson. Gibson's 9-4, though. Yep, Gibson has uh, really improved the amount of innings he's been able to throw this year. Pitch count and um, control over his uh, stuff has been an issue for him the first couple years of his career. But he's starting to, f- he's starting to figure it out. And then I remember back in uh, April when the Twins came, Jake Odorizzi shut down the Yankees in his start. He's going to yep. pitch on Wednesday against Jay Happ, who you might have that one locked up if I'm being honest. Jay Happ is, he he's not exceptional per se, you know, yeah. four eight I mean, six ERA. Where like the Twins sort of had a little bit of a decline. Odo wasn't, he wasn't as advertised when we picked him up in, in last year's offseason. 
but um, this year he's he's been great. Like everything's everything's working. Our rotation has been like to say the least. So when you look at these three matchups, Sabathia four oh six ERA, Perez four ten ERA, so evenly matched going into tonight's game. Uh, Herman three three eight against Gibson four oh two, so pretty much evenly matched there too. Even with the amount of wins each pitcher has, I think Odorizzi is going to slap Jay Happ on Wednesday, unless the Yankees can continue to just pour on runs like they have been. Right, which you know it's not in Yankee Stadium, so those little like three hundred and five foot home runs won't get out. And yeah, I mean I saw that tweet yesterday that you put out on DJ Lemayhew's home run. Don't hate on La Machine, man. I don't hate on that. That's a home run in any other ballpark. It is for the most, like, one thing, like, Edwin Encarnacion, his first home run for the Yankees, I specifically remember it. It was like a... Oh, yeah, it was it was a dinky over the right field wall. It's yeah. just one of those things, man. Like, it, it's fun, and it people always bite on Twitter over it, so it's good. All right, that was like a line drive. That probably would have been off the right field wall at a target field. No, I mean, it was, it was a well-hit ball. I mean, no, it's just one of those things. So stadiums a kids' park. It's fun when you're pl- when you're hitting there. When you have Encarnacion and Gregorius and Judge and Stanton and Voit, it's fun. Yeah. Not to mention Gary Sanchez. Uh, here, here's um, the uh, splits on Sabathia and Perez against each respective team. So Sabathia lifetime against the Twins in their starting lineup for tonight. Um, Jason Castro, two hundred batting average. C.J. Crone, 200 batting average. Mitch Garver doesn't have a hit against him. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez in six at-bats has three hits, including two home runs. Nelson Cruz, who has the most impressive stat line, in 17 at-bats hitting 353. Not bad. And then Jorge Polanco hitting 667 in just three at-bats. Jonathan Scope. Honestly, this might be more impressive in 32 at-bats hitting 250. The average isn't there, but in 32 at-bats, that's not bad. Uh, the Yankees against uh, Perez. Um, Didi Gregorius in six at-bats hitting 500 with two home runs. Aaron Hicks hitting 667 and three at-bats. Aaron Judge, 333 with three home runs. DJ LeMahieu, 286. Romine and Gary Sanchez each with a 1,000 batting average and five at-bats. Luke Voigt hitting 333. So I don't know how many at bats most of these guys have, but uh, they, they seem to rake Perez when uh, I will say he toes this is slab. definitely going to be a, a different Martin Perez that like the Yankees haven't really gotten to see before. So at the beginning of the year, we didn't really have a spot for him in the rotation. So he was kind of like our spot start guy the first right. couple months. And then, like, he would uh, come out of the bullpen and eat up innings if, like, a starter wasn't going very long. But his stuff was just undeniable. And he's been able to eat up innings, so they started to start him. And he was getting late into games and low pitch counts and a lot of ground balls and, you know, making stuff happen. And, yeah, I mean, he's just – he's been really good. And, I mean, when you have a lefty who's throwing like that, you have to throw him every fifth day. And now I'm looking at Domingo. So Domingo Herman lifetime against the Minnesota Twins. Um, Marwin Gonzalez is the only guy who's hit him. I mean, not. I think the most at bats is in this lineup. Marwin Gonzalez nine at bats against Domingo Herman, 444 average with a home run and three runs batted in. Everybody else is under 100 against him. And then you got Kyle Gibson who uh, has given up four lifetime home runs against Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, 313 average to Brett the Jet Gardner. 
Um, Aaron Hicks, five at-bats, hitting 200. And then you got Gary Sanchez in 375 with two home runs in eight at-bats against Gibson. So the Yankees have some really good numbers against these guys. What about Kyle Gibson? You feel the same about him as you do to Martin Perez? Um, Different pitcher? I think Kyle's just starting to really like develop as his own pitcher. I think he's... He knows what he wants to throw and counts more often than not because, you know, in the past it's sort of been like one of those guys where an inning takes 25 minutes for him to get through because, yeah. you know, he's not really sure how he wants to attack a guy. But he's uh, – and first pitch strikes were a problem for him his first uh, two years. But now he's – he's just sort of finding his groove, which, you know, I mean, it takes guys a little while sometimes. And he's got a really good mix of uh, slow stuff and his fastball – isn't, you know, not a whole lot of velocity behind it, but it can fool you. And then we mentioned Jay Hap, Jake Odorizzi in Game 3. Numbers don't lie here. So Jay Hap's been in the league for a long time now. Uh, well over a decade, veteran in the league. Yeah. Jay Hap's one of those guys that just goes to show it took him five or six years to really develop into a good pitcher. Right. Uh, he might not be a good pitcher on Wednesday night, though. I'm looking at the stats. Everyone's hitting over 280 against Jay Happ in your lineup. So wow. you so you got um, CJ Crone hitting 390 with two home runs, three runs batted in. Nelson Cruz 346 and 26 at bats. Mitch Garver in 12 at bats hitting 417 with a home run. Uh, Max Kepler 286, Polanco 286, Eddie Rosario 283. This might be a tough, uh, tough outing for uh, Jay Happ. And then you got Odorizzi uh, and Carnacion hitting 162, Gardner 188, Gregorius 091, Hicks 231, LeMay Houston 333 out of all people, okay, hitting 333, Judge 286, Sanchez 250, and then the rest hitless against Odorizzi. I mentioned earlier, I think it was seven shutout, seven innings of one-run ball, I think, in his start. It was a Saturday in late April at Yankee Stadium. Dominated the Yankees, looking for his 12th win here. I think that the Yankees could take care of Gibson and Perez. I think it'll be tough. It'll be an even series. But given the Yankees' success against the Twins, I don't know. You mentioned it before. How many wins do the Yankees have compared to losses against the Twins since 2009? Oh, let me uh, find the stat real quick. It's it's pretty daunting since 2002, including the It's post-season. pretty depressing if you're a Minnesota Twins fan like Hunter. It's almost 100 wins versus like 20-some-odd losses. Not, not to mention all the sweeps in the uh, playoffs. So it's 98-36 uh, and 36 versus the Twins since 2002, including the postseason. So they've owned them. Like even when they came in April, the Yankees were struggling. Like Gio Urshela was hitting second, hitting fifth, whatever. Like Mike Talkman was hitting cleanup. Like everyone was hurt. Twins came in with the best record in baseball, and the Yankees still creamed them two out of three. You know, like you just can't explain it. Sort of used to as a Twins fan. You just can't explain it. But Jake Odorizzi, like if there's one game that the Yankees I think lose in the series, it's going to be on Wednesday night against Odorizzi. I just Hap has not been Hap and Paxton have been like two and two, like they they just. Don't they haven't pitched well this year? Hap was seven and zero in his first seven starts last year. That just hasn't been great. I mean, the offense has picked him up. He's got eight wins, but four eight six ERA. Yankee Stadium does not spell for Cy Young by any means. No, the Yankees just they just dodged Michael Pineda. They should be thankful. Oh, he would have wanted that redemption start too. It's like in Little League when you when you request to play against your former team. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm happy with how the Twins are playing, man. Like it, it's been a bit of a slow July, but they're they're still there. I mean, they're sixty and thirty eight, and if you would have told a Twins fan, hey, you're in first place in late July, you have sixty wins already, are you happy? Uh, yeah, I'm buzzing. <laughs> All right, last thing before we call it quits on this week's edition. We talked about a little bit of uh, bringing entertainment into baseball. So talked about speeding up play. You weren't on board with shortening it like 10-run rules after five innings or whatever after that. Uh, One thing that's always been a mystery to me that we finally found over these past few games, especially with Aaron Boone the other day, which was very entertaining, was the, the, the mystery of... What managers say to umpires when they get thrown out of the game and they go ballistic on the field? We saw, I mean, we saw it the other night. The Yankees are fucking savages in the box. We 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 know what Aaron Boone said the other day. Here's the exact quote from what he said. And this guy's a young umpire. I think he's in his late twenties. One of the newer umpires in the league. He goes, he goes. My guys are fucking ch- savages in that fucking box. This is what he told uh, Brad Miller. This is the home plate umpire. You're having a piece of shit start to this game. I feel bad for you, but fucking get better. That guy is a good pitcher, but our guys are fucking savages in that box. Our guys are savages in that fucking box. Tighten it up right now, okay? Tighten this shit up. And now there's t-shirts all over the country saying fucking savages on them with Yankee logos. Yeah, no, it was... I I really enjoyed it. I think my favorite part is, meanwhile, Brett Garner beating the hell out of the dugout ceiling with a bat. Now, I don't know what that was. He was trying to just tear through the upper part of that dugout. Well, look, it's better There's people throwing, up there. It's better than throwing the helmet and busting your lip up again. I mean, that's entertaining. So I remember a few years ago they actually got it on uh, audio of Terry Collins getting thrown out of game after Syndergaard threw at Chase Utley. Remember that Mets-Dodgers Chase Utley slid into second base, broke Ruben Tejada's leg. Syndergaard uh, yeah. throws behind Utley, immediately gets thrown out the next year. Uh, Terry Collins goes ballistic. He's like, "That can't happen. Why is this happening?" And, and then yeah. the home the home plate umpire, I think, I believe he said, "Our asses are in the jackpot, Terry. Like we 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 have to do something about this." I mean, if you can get the exact sound by, I forget exactly what he said, but like this is one of the entertaining things. Like it was a mystery for a long time what managers said to umpires. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I've, I had, like, a newfound respect for Aaron Boone after that. Because it was like, he was really, he was going to bat for his guys. And, like, that's that's what you want. I mean, he know? did it last last year. He crouched into the catcher's position and goes, this is a strike, this is a ball. Get better. And then went back into the dugout. That's what really fired them up. I think they hit three home runs after that in that inning to win yeah. that game. But uh, the, my favorite part was him clapping, just, like, tighten this shit up. He's just, like... He, and and uh, and to break that down, like he was like, I feel bad for you. Like he, he was like legitimately sincere. Yeah, no, to the to the He's like, I feel bad for you, but you're having a piece of shit start to this game. Get it better. Like it's like they're buddies or something because like it's like a first name basis. Yeah. and it was like he was being very sincere to him about like how shitty of a game he was having. Like he had enough of the strike zone. My guys are fucking savages in that fucking box. You're having a piece of shit start to this game, which he was. I feel bad for you, but fucking get better. And if you're a Rays fan and Aaron Boone's going off on this guy, he's like, well, I mean, this, this, like, okay, this can't happen. But then, then he's like, this guy is a good pit. Like he said, uh, I think it was Robinson Chirinos. Not Robinson Chirinos, uh Yanni Chirinos. It was the Rockies, wasn't it? 
Yeah, uh, Yanni Shirenos on the mound for the Rays that day. He, he goes, that guy is a good pitcher. They're just like, oh, fuck. Like, he gave us credit. And now, yeah. and now he's saying, but get better. Our guys are fucking savages in that box. And you can't uh, disagree with Aaron Boone. They are the 64 and 34 best record in baseball. They're studs in that box. It's hard to argue with. That's how we'll end our show today, though. Go subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever the hell you guys get your shows. Hunter, thanks for joining the show, the number one show of O's. Two-time guest. Appreciate you having me. Two-time guest. Hit it, Hootie. Have you ever felt cheated out of a deal when buying tickets from StubHub only to see that there's a $15 fee at the end of your original purchase? Or have you ever been on Vivid Seats and not even get your tickets? That, that actually happened to me once. I ordered a ticket from Vivid Seats and I never got the ticket. And that's why I switched over to TickBick.com where smart fans buy tickets online. No hidden fees. Search and buy now 100% authentic tickets. Best price guarantee, 24-7 customer service. Buy, bid on, and sell tickets with the confidence of their 110% guarantee. That's 110% guarantee. They show you the best deals with their algorithms and let you decide 0% buyer fees. If your ticket is $26, your, pr- your purchase is $26. No joke. The most transparent, consumer-friendly ticket marketplace on the web. Authentic, valid tickets backed by our 100% money-back guarantee. You'll love your ticketing experience from purchase through the final whistle or out and no hidden fees. Like I said, if it's $26, hell, if it's $8, it is an $8 purchase. Save an average of 10 to 15% on every purchase guaranteed only at TickPick.com. Get your tickets now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.